All right. How's everybody doing? One couple goods, pretty goods. Everybody's okay. All right, cool. Well, first of all, thanks for coming. Um, really appreciate you guys coming out. Um, unlike Seth, how he always says that he's old-fashioned and uses paper for notes, I'm going to use an iPad for my notes and an iPhone for my Bible just because it's easier. So who doesn't have a Bible? Everybody has a Bible. Got one? Seth, will you help me do? Grab some Bibles. I don't want you guys to, to care what I say. I want to make sure that you understand it's coming from the Bible. I think there's one. I think we only need one, though, right? Or are we good? I think they're in the back room. Cool. So while he's doing that, um, you guys, for those of you new that came in, uh, Community Elko is just a place where Christians and non-Christians come from all over the city, different churches, to sacrifice a little bit of our time on a Sunday night to give it back to God. And that's why we're here. So for those of you that have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament, back half of your Bible. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask a couple questions. How? What's that? 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And going to start with just a couple questions here. First of all, somebody tell me what 1 Corinthians is. Who wrote it? Paul's writing a letter to who? The city of Corinth, the Corinthians. Why is he writing a letter to the church of Corinth? Yeah, they're screwing up big time. They're messing everything up. And Paul goes to Corinth, starts a church, everything's going really good, everybody's doing good, raises up leaders. Paul takes off to Ephesus to start a church. Then he starts getting letters from people, right? They're just slaughtering everything. And what are some of the things they're messing up? Sexual immorality was huge. What else? Idolatry. What else? Yeah, homosexuality was big. Pagan worship in its purest form they were suing each other everything so paul obviously addresses this okay what did we talk about last week uh we talked seth talked about authority they were messing up authority they were paul had to set it straight that you know the man is the authority over the wife and the husband is the authority under god but because the man is over the wife that's not as seth made very clear that's not to be confused into thinking that the man somehow gets to be a dictator or a tyrannical leader lording over his wife and putting his foot down and making sure she obeys everything he says to the t that's not the way it is the husband is to love and serve his wife to be a servant as he leads her, just like Jesus was a servant leader, he came down and all he did the entire time he was here was serve. Um, and wives in the same way are to love and obey their husbands and to be their helpers and to talk to them when they, they, you know, they may feel their husband's going in a different direction. The wives are there to help their husbands, but ultimately it's the husband who makes the final decision and stands before God for how he led his family. So Paul had to straighten that out with them and Seth talked about that last week so now we're going to jump into the next section here first Corinthians chapter 11 Seth did 1 through 16 we're going to do 17 through 34 so here we go we're going to dive in we're going to talk about communion yet again I want to ask you guys some questions just like we say every time 
I'm not a pastor, so I, I don't want to do all of the talking. You guys talk to me. If you have a question, ask it. If I don't know the answer, I'll find the answer and get back to you. But let's have some interaction here so we can uh, work together. Who has ever seen a famous painting called The Last Supper? Everybody has. Almost everybody. What is, what is that painting? What does it represent? What's going on? Right. He's having the Last Supper with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And what was that Last Supper called? The Passover, right? What did they do during this, this supper that they did? What specifically happened there? Yeah, they ate together, they did bread and wine, and they remembered Jesus, and he taught them. They had communion together, they fellowshiped in community together. That's what that painting represents. So here's what we're going to talk about. Let's go a um, little bit of an introduction. This whole kind of series thing we've been talking about has been basically summed up under this. How do we, as Christians, um, live a life of the gospel in a city and in a culture like Elko that doesn't believe it, that thinks that God is, you know, just, you know, the big guy in the sky, that ultimately if you're a good person, you're going to heaven. And, you know, the problem with that is none of us are good people. The Bible says there's nobody that's good, not one person, except for Jesus Christ, right? So our struggle, and as we're studying this, what we're trying to see is how do we live out truth in a city that hates truth, that doesn't want the truth, that rejects it. That's what we've been talking about here. We talked about last time, the time I taught right before Seth, we talked about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And what does that mean? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set up on a hill can't be hidden. What is he saying with that? Yeah, come out, be, be seen, have there be something so different about you that you're like a city up on a hill that people that are lost People that are on long journeys and they're lost and they're dying and they're hurt, they can see this shining light up on a hill and know that there's safety there, that there's hope there, right? They, Jesus said, a city that is set up on a hill can't be hidden. You'll be seen by everybody. What does he say when he says you're the salt of the earth? What's that mean? Jesus called you salt. Yeah, what was salt used for? Everything, specifically what? Money, preserving things, flavor, everything, right? Salt was essential back then. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Why would he compare us to salt? What do we have that the, the earth might need? Jesus. <laughs> it sums up in that. We have Jesus. We have healing. We have the ability to preserve people's lives, to have them stop wasting their life and to find Jesus and, and preserve the rest of their life and give them hope. That's what we talked about here. Um, for, you guys are in 1 Corinthians 11. Really quick, I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Somebody read verse 31 through 33. This is going to essentially sum up everything we've talked about to this point. So somebody read nice and loud chapter 10, 31 through 33. Go for it. I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, 
That was awesome. I'll read that one more time. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what does whatever mean? When he says whatever you do. Everything. Everything. You'd be surprised though. You, you think that that's simple, something that we can grasp. But you'd be surprised though that it literally means everything. Does that mean going to work? Does it mean coming here? Does it mean going to the store? Does it mean sitting by yourself in your house where nobody can see you doing whatever it is you do? Does he even want that to be to the glory of God? Yeah. yeah. But how often is it? I think a lot of people read this. Whatever you do, as long as it's involving church or other Christians, do all to the glory of God. It doesn't say that. It says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 31, or 32, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. In other words, watch yourself. Don't cause anybody to sin. We talked about alcohol. If somebody struggles with alcohol, you know, a Christian should not, shouldn't necessarily drink in front of that person if they're going to, you know, they have a problem with it, right? Be careful about it. Don't cause anybody to stumble. Paul says, just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be what? Saved. Okay, so Paul admits here, yeah, I'm trying to please everybody, but I'm not trying to please them for selfish advantage. What is he saying here? He's trying to live a life for Christ in a way that everybody will be pleased with how well he's following Christ and want what he wants. That's what he's saying here. So don't, uh, don't mess that up. I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. All right. So, summed up, whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 17. I'm going to go ahead and read here, and then I'll ask you guys to read as we come. This little section, uh, subtitles, titled, The Lord's Supper, Communion, right? But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. The reason Paul starts this little section by saying, in the following instructions, I don't commend you, is because Paul had actually told them earlier in the chapters that they were doing good. Because they've been writing letters back and forth to each other this whole time. And Paul actually says, good job. You guys are fixing things slowly but surely, but you're actually listening to me. I mean, how many times would you guys say with a show of hands, does it take somebody to tell you something a million times before you realize it or before you get it? I think all of us pretty much would say that we don't really learn after the first time. Sometimes God uses things in our lives, even bad things, to say, wake up. And we just, oh, we wake up for a split second. We see God. There he is. Everything's good. As soon, soon as things start coming back around, what do we do? Give God the boot. We got it. We're under control in our lives. We can handle it. God sometimes has to tell us a million times. And believe me, he will win. Yeah, you can fight it and fight it and fight it, but you lose. You already have. God wins. All right. We are going to keep going here. If my, as my phone fails me. All right, here we go. Chapter, or verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What is he saying there? Go ahead and read it if you have to. I'll read it again. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. What's he saying? Yeah. He's saying, you guys aren't one. 
You're not. He said you come together and everybody splits off into their own little groups and yet we take communion together. We come together for communion and we don't practice community. You see how that's kind of stupid? I mean, literally, these people would come together to take communion, which is a group celebratory feast, believe it or not, in remembering that Jesus conquered and beat your sin when he died on the cross. And these people would all come together, show up in the building to practice communion. Rich people would sit over here. Poor people would sit over here. Everybody would split up. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Why are you guys doing this? There's divisions among you. Why are you doing that? He goes, I believe in part there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He's saying there's a reason because there's people amidst you guys that want to be seen. Right? That's what he's saying here. Verse, uh, verse 20 says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now that's kind of that's deep if you think about it, right? These people are coming together in all uh, of their supposed sincerity to remember what Christ did for them. And yet when they come and try to do it in that way, being divided like that, Paul straight up says, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're doing it in vain. You're wasting your time. Okay, verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Okay? What do you, mean, what, what do you think he means when he says here, um, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. This was actually, I, I kind of learned this as I was studying for this. Does anybody have any idea what he's talking about here? Yep. That's it. Everybody's doing their own thing. Here's what would happen, okay? The rich people would come. They would bring all of their good stuff, right? Because the rich people got it. They got the best wine, the best bread, the best food. The rich people would come. They'd show up early. They'd all eat, get drunk, eat all of their food. And then when the poor people would show up, they wouldn't share with the poor people. The poor people would bring their stuff and be like, we're here for communion. The rich people would shun them, say, we're already done. Was that communion? I mean, literally in the word communion is union, <laughs> being together. Okay, they weren't doing that. Paul's like, uh, he's like, uh, one goes hungry and another gets drunk. They weren't even sharing. So that somebody would come to eat and feast and partake of this and actually not be given any food. That's like somebody showing up to Community Elko here. We're all over there eating pizza. You can tell somebody's starving and you're like, oh, there's two pieces left. You lick it all and, you know, oh, that, that stinks for you. Go stand by yourself. But, you're, but do it in a more hurtful way. Be filthy rich and have some poor Christian who believes in the same God you do. Come on in. Be hungry. And you just to turn them away. It says they literally go hungry and another person gets drunk. I mean, I can't even imagine walking into a church for communion to fellowship with people, and there's starving people over here, people with way too much food over here, and drunk people over here, and nobody sharing. I mean, can you imagine that? And they're here under the guise of, we're going to take communion and remember what Jesus Christ did for us. 
I can't imagine that. If we saw that in a church today, it it would just blow our minds, right? Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? In other words, if, if all this is to you, if all communion is to you is food and drink and about yourself, go home. Don't even bother. And this can be paralleled, you guys, to, to church, to community, to the things of God. If you come here for yourself, just to hang out with your friends, I'll be honest, we don't even want you here. I mean, yeah, it can be kind of harsh, but if you're not coming here to learn about Jesus or to spend time with him or to grow and fellowship together, but you're just coming because you think you'll look good if you try to play a song or because, you know, your girlfriend's here or you just want free food. If you're coming for that, you're wasting your time. You're doing absolutely no good. And I would rather you not come. Come. Be serious about it. This isn't a time to mess around. This is a time to acknowledge Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. I think it's, I just can't imagine these people's mindset where they know this so well, where Paul, one of the greatest apostles ever, was their church planter. And as soon as he leaves, they let it just go to crap. And then Paul has to hear about it. What are you guys doing? You guys, we have to be serious about the things of God. I wonder how much we are, though. I mean, we're all so busy. We got people that are seniors. We got people that work a ton. We have people that have a lot going on in their lives. Where in the middle of that do we give Jesus a little bit of time? Oh, I go to church on Sunday. So, where's Jesus Monday through Friday? Monday through Saturday? Where is he then? Does he just not matter because you don't have a two-hour time block set aside for God? Paul just said in 1030 and 31, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you're going to school, be about God. Or do you not really believe what he did for you? Seth said it a little time ago, and it convicts me every time I hear it, that we would all say, yes, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ came down, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died on the cross for our sins, paid the price that we couldn't pay. And just said, all you have to do is believe it and accept it. And you will spend eternity in heaven and be forgiven from all of your sins. This is what we believe, right? Right? Yeah. There we go. Now we got some heads. Everybody's scared to talk. I would say, yes, I believe that. Here's something Seth said. You don't really believe the gospel until you're compelled to share it. Think about that. Bam, that hits me like a ton of bricks every time. You can think whatever you guys want to think, but you don't really believe it until you are compelled and overburdened to share that with somebody else. How could you not? If you believe that you have salvation from eternal damnation in hell, and I'm not, you know, we always, people every think, they think of Satan in hell. They think of a little red guy with pitchforks. We're not talking about that. Hell is a very real place. And people go there all the time, and that's what they want. They deny God, and in denying God, they say, I choose hell. And then they stand back and blame God. Why would a loving God send people to hell? He didn't. He died to save you. You rejected him, and you chose it. Simple as that. We can sit in here. We can nod our heads. We can say, yeah, we're serious about God. But I would say, show me. When you walk out the doors, show me. My boss... um, at work right now at Bennett Medical Services. He's a Christian guy. Him and I have great fellowship during the day. 
he has a little poem up above his desk that says, it's called, I'd Rather See a Sermon. And I read this little poem, and it's all talking about how I'd rather see a sermon because I can hear one any day. You know, I'll remember so much better if I see somebody living out what they believe. That's what we have to be, you guys. When we don't, we're being just like these people. We come to community, we spit in God's face, we sing songs, and we're thinking, pizza, 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 where's my girlfriend? Why didn't she come? Our minds are in all these other different places. We're supposed to be about God. Okay, Paul says, what shall I say to you guys? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. In other words, that's a nice way of saying, stop, you are being bad. You are wrong. And it's very, very, very serious to God. And I think we miss it. We play with God, you guys. We toy with Him. He's just this thing. Right? All right, 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You guys have been in a church setting where they've taken communion, right? Where they pass the plate and there's crackers and everybody takes a cracker and then the pastor says something and then they pass the little plate of grape juice. You guys have all done that or seen that at least, even in movies. This is what he's talking about. Jesus started that, okay? And it wasn't just something you take lightly or something you do because, man, I'm, man, it's like 12.30, the sermon's pastor's dragging. <clears throat> I can't wait till he gets me that cracker and that little shot of grape juice so I can hold myself over till I get to Taco Bell. It's, it's not about that, right? Jesus was dead serious. And then, he, and then um, let's see here. We're going to keep going here. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and and drinks judgment upon himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. What do you guys think that means? Actually, it it means spiritually, but it means physically. People are coming to church. They're passing this cracker, which represents the body of Jesus Christ that was ripped apart for you. And these people are thinking, flick it in the air, catch it in their mouth, cracker time. That's what we're here for. Man, that cracker dried my mouth out. Where's the juice? Jesus said, remember me. When you do this, this cracker is so you can put it in your mouth and physically remember what I did for you. Then he took the cup, the the wine back then, and said, today we use grape juice. It's irrelevant. It's the fruit of the vine. That's what matters. But he took it and he said, you guys, when you drink this wine, this represents my blood, which I spilt on the cross for you. When you do this, remember me. Remember me. How do you remember him and have an attitude of just, I don't care? You're not remembering him at all. Okay? Remember me. Here's what he says. And this is, I'm going to go back to the part what Ryan and I were just talking about. He says, This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You know what he just said? People have come to church, taken communion, taken those elements in an unworthy manner, have become sick, and even some have died because of that. Straight up. 
People say, God wouldn't kill people. Wrong. He killed people all the time. Why? Why would he do that? Is God holy? Is he just? When we come in here and we do that and we don't take him seriously and we spit in his face and tell him the cross didn't mean anything, you deserve it. I would deserve it. He tells them straight up, this, because you guys are doing it like this, that's why some of you guys are sick. That's why some of you have even died is because of your attitudes. Okay, it's not a light matter. Very, very big here. 31, he says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Okay, so he tells you a whole bunch of verses about the bad, but then he says, but doesn't have to be bad. If you guys judge yourselves truly, if you check your attitude, when you take communion, I wish we could take it tonight. If you take communion and you come together in community and you're serious about God, you won't be judged. He just said it. We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Why are we disciplined? Why would God spank us? Here's why. So that we may not be condemned along with the world. Does it get more clear than that? Fire away. Yeah, what Seth was saying, if we understand, if we actually grasp how holy God is, it would change the way we live our daily lives. He talked about another instances where God's presence was dwelling in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with that. Man, The Prince of Egypt just seems to be a popular reference movie for me. I don't know why, but how many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt? The old Moses movie? Yeah, okay, there's Ark of the Covenant, okay? That movie kind of leads into it. God's presence dwelt on what was called the Ark of the Covenant. This container, if you will, was made a certain way, and God said, this is where my presence is. And there were certain items in this Ark that people would carry, and there were only four people that were allowed to touch it, the four priests. And they would have big rings on the side of it and a pole going through the rings. And one priest, or I would imagine the thing was heavy, so I'm thinking two priests on a pole probably, would carry this thing, as the nation of Israel journeyed, and they were the only ones allowed to touch it. What There's actually an instance recorded where somebody, and, and check this out, okay, the, they, they were carrying the Ark wrong. They put the Ark of the Covenant on a trailer, or basically on a cart, instead of having the priests carry it. The cart's going down the road, and one of the guys sees the Ark start to fall out. First of all, they're carrying it wrong. Now they're about to dump the Ark of the Covenant containing God's holy presence onto the ground. What does this guy do? Runs over to it, puts his hand on it to push it back into the cart and drops dead. Why? Is that fair? How is that fair? God is so holy, so holy and righteous and set apart from sin that he said, 
This is how you will carry it. This is my command to you. If you disobey my command, there will be punishment for it. Okay? That actually happened. Seth's right. If we actually understood how holy God was, despite our intentions, you guys, we would see the things of God in a different light. All of us would. Even if our intentions, like that guy's, was good, they were still disobeying from the very beginning with how it was being carried. Okay? Um, I accidentally changed my thing here. One second. All right, let's jump down all the way to 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You guys understand, right, that the world is condemned, right? That when you're born, when you come out of your mother on your birthday, you are a sinner. Notice how you never have to teach little babies how to lie. Or do, but, but some would say, but we're, we're all good people. As long as I'm good, we're going to go to heaven. Well, if one of the first things in your humanity that you learn how to do when you're a baby is steal a cookie or hit your brother, or I'm talking little nursery kids, okay? Punch your brother in the face when your mom says, did you hit him? What's the first thing you say? No. If we're so good as human beings, why are we so bad from the start? Because we're not good. There's nothing good about us. Okay, Jesus had to come down and live that perfect life because we could not do it. All right, here we go. Last two verses. <clears throat> 33, he says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Side note to a side note, I get so irritated when I get invited over for a meal. People don't wait. My mom, she's not here so I can talk about her. Oh, man. Don't even get me started on that. She'll say, hey, you want to come over for food? Yeah, sure, I'll be over there. You show up. She's on her second plate. Just, it just irks me, okay? And I, I'm gonna, I should show her this verse. When you come together to eat, wait for one another, right? 34, if anyone is hungry, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Because when you come together for communion to be about God, you're not coming here to get full, of physical food, right? So Paul says, look, if you're hungry, don't come to the communion feast to eat. Eat at home. You have a house for that. So that when you... Why? Why would he say that? Why eat at home? So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. That's why. So that when you come together, you're not wasting your time and wasting your life. Okay? <clears throat> we talk about... <clears throat> excuse me communion a couple times now and it's because there's there's more to communion than just the bread or the cracker and the juice right you cannot practice biblical communion unless you're practicing biblical community with each other being together with each other how right is it to go up to your church oh it's communion sunday how you doing how you doing sit down i hate those people over there let's worship god right that's what, you're, that's what they're doing. Okay? Ah, yeah, I can't wait to sing this song about God's grace and forgiveness. Oh, there's those people. I hate those people. They shouldn't even be worshiping. Right? How, and then you go to take communion and remember what Jesus Christ did for you and how much he forgave you. And you just said, I hate those people. You're wasting your time. You're judging yourself. I would say... This word is awesome, by the way. I would say, woe to those people. 
Watch out. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? Oh, God, here we are. I can't wait to see you. Oh, they actually made it? Can you, I mean, it's funny to think about that, but if we would never imagine doing that in heaven, why in the world are we doing it here? What's the difference? There's no difference. We have to have attitudes, you guys, that are serious about God. Because I promise you, if you don't get serious about Him now, you're going to be serious about Him when you're standing in front of Him, and by then it's going to be too late. So you might as well get serious now. You're not guaranteed your next breath. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, she made a very good point. Don't get me wrong, guys. It's not easy. Amen. Believe me. I, If anybody in this room has had to learn this the hard way and is learning this and will always need to be reminded of this, it's this guy. Okay, you don't even know the stuff that God's had to smack me upside the head with the past couple of months. You have no idea. And it hurts. And I cried, frankly. Men don't cry. That's a bunch of junk okay when you realize your sin through the eyes of a holy god you cry jesus cries because of your sin he hates it okay so it's not easy you guys but you you're not guaranteed your next breath as i said before you could pull out of the driveway slam in a car wreck standing before god what do you do god yeah about that i was gonna i was gonna hit you up next week does that, is that going to cut it? What's it gonna, I mean, why wait? If you're going to do it, why wait? Do you realize the blessings that God has just waiting for you, but you're just saying literally, no, I don't want them? That's what you're saying. I don't want what God has for me. I got this on my own. Really? Then why is your life so stinking screwed up? If you got it, why does it suck so bad? Think about that. Jesus is the only way, you guys, the only way for true joy. You can be happy for a minute, but joy lasts a very long time. For those of you that are Christians, you remember when you first got saved? I do, man. It was amazing. I was on cloud nine. I got saved at Red Cliff Bible Camp with this little short pastor named Chuck Crabtree who preached on hell and scared the crap out of me. I'm not going to lie to you. I got saved out of fear. It was later I learned that it was really love that I wanted. But I came to Jesus because I knew the consequences of it. Because it was real. And a lot of people think, oh, hell is right now. Oh, believe me, it gets so much worse. <laughs> I don't even know. So I just want to challenge you guys as we close with that. Be serious. Don't waste your life. Every day that you're not giving and dedicating to Jesus and everything you do that is not for the purpose of giving Him glory is a waste. Yeah. Oh, you mean could it be like spiritual as well? Yeah. Sure. 
We, yeah, sure. We talked about last time um, when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, let your light shine. Why would you be a light and then hide it? We talked about how sometimes exactly what you're just saying there, people need to see it. So we hide it. People are hungry. We have the food to fill them up. People are thirsty. We have the living water of life for them. And yet it says people go hungry. We have so much and we don't share it. It goes back to the quote, you don't truly believe the gospel until you're just compelled to share it. That was good. I'll close with exactly what he's saying. The Bible says that when we die as Christians, you die when you're not a Christian, there's a whole other world of judgment coming. (laughs) We don't even want to go there. We do, and we will, because the Bible says it. But right now, I'm just going to tell you guys, for, for you Christians, for you guys that proclaim God, the Bible talks about a time when we die and we stand up before God that He takes our lives as you would, per se, and passes them through a fire. Everything that you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every place you've ever gone, everything that you've ever did, all of your works, he passes them through a fire. And it talks about the wood, hay, and stubble being burned away, being vaporized, and then only the gold, silver, and precious stones, the things that you really did for God coming out. And he turns and takes those things and comes up to you and says, well done, good and faithful servant, here's your reward. And what do we get to do? We get to say, no, no, no. We get to turn around, throw it back at his feet, fall on our faces and worship him and say, it's all about you. That's what we get to do. We we talked about it. What are gold, silver, and riches in life? I think the biggest, one of the biggest ones is your time. Time is the one thing that we can't get more or less of in a day. We get 24 hours What do you do with it? For those of you guys, the new people especially, that came here tonight, this was a sacrifice of your time. It really was. Not only do I thank you, but God appreciates it far more than you could ever know. The fact that you said, you know what, I could be doing a lot of things, but I'm going to give God just a couple hours tonight. You want to be blessed for that? God will bless you for those things, you guys. It's not a small thing. Okay? So that's what I challenge you guys. Let's practice community. Again, um, just for those of you that know, I don't believe, I'm going to find out for sure, but I believe the pastor of the church who we meet in here told me that they need the building next Sunday. Um, So we won't be actually meeting here. What I was wondering we could do, if it was cool with you guys, is could we, do you guys want to hang out? Like maybe do you want to go to, I was thinking go to like JR's or something and get like just a massive table. It's probably cold. (laughs) 
If it was summer, we could have a picnic. Let's do an indoor picnic. Would you guys be down maybe for hanging out at JR's next week? Anybody sound okay? Here's what I'll do. I'll just post it on Facebook. We'll show up. Next Sunday. Instead of coming here. So it would be 6.30 at JR's instead of coming here. Um, I'll just have like a a super short like devotional and we'll just hang out together and um, practice community. So, all right guys, thank you so much for coming. Let's pray and then we'll worship uh, with a few more songs and then uh, we'll eat some food. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord.